The reading today is taken from John chapter 12, verses 12 to 19. The next day, the crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As is it, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these, that these things had been written about him and that was these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. As I said, we're returning to our studies in John's Gospel. We're we're doing a year through John's Gospel because we want to try and work out what Jesus said and did and how he said it and did it and what we can learn from that. I need to give you a a very brief recap because um, the last time we did this was in November. And since then we've had Remembrance, we've had Advent and Christmas and New Year. So... Back then we had the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And we're told that lots of people believed in him at that time. But at the same time, the religious people, they they actually at that point decided he has to go. Then at the start of chapter 12... We're told it was six days before Passover and Mary came when they were having their meal and she had this jar of perfume, really expensive perfume and she broke it open and she anointed Jesus with the perfume and Judas Iscariot in particular was incensed at this. What he saw was a waste of money that could have been sold and given to the poor. Of course, later we discovered that he was uh, dipping into the, the treasury as it were. She wasn't really interested in the poor. So our reading today tells us that Jesus entered Jerusalem. It's quite minimal, isn't it? You know, yeah, there was a few crowds, there were some palm branches, there was a donkey, you know. The other stories give us much more detail. It's just kind of, yeah, he went into Jerusalem. Because actually for, for John, it's not so much the point. I want to read the next few verses in the chapter. John chapter 12 from verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. And they came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Now Philip went to tell Andrew and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, then it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice from heaven came. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death that he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. Well, we've heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. So we know it was Passover time. We know that there were lots and lots of people had come to Jerusalem because it was Passover It was a festival at the heart of Jewish life. It's a memory back in time, back to the Exodus when when they had been captive in Egypt. And when they were rescued because they had to kill a lamb and they used the blood from the lamb and they painted it on their doorpost. And when the angel came and saw that, they were saved. Through the sacrifice of a lamb. Passover has its own symbolism and John wants to make sure that those of us reading this story understand how Jesus, the Lamb of God, fits in. Thinking back to chapter 10 and verse 22, we see Jesus then at the winter festival or Hanukkah. And years before, 164 BC, a very similar event had happened to what John has just described. Judas Maccabeus cleansed the temple. Now we haven't got to that bit in the story yet. Jesus is going to do that in a little bit. But Judas Maccabeus did that. And at that point, his followers came out of the city waving palm branches and shouting and rejoicing. And John is saying, he wasn't the one. Judas Maccabeus wasn't the one. Jesus is the one. He's the one who's going to bring light and Passover. He's the one. He's the ruler. The true king come to claim his throne. And this is the moment. This is the moment when God is going to free his people, Israel, once and for all. And so we have that uh, Zechariah at nine and nine. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly. And riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So John goes back to, how did Jesus come in? On a donkey. Follows the story 
of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And John said that was the last of the signs that Jesus did in his public ministry. But it was one that meant lots of people had come with him and lots of people in the city had heard what had happened and came out to see who this Jesus was and what he was going to do next. But the Pharisees, they were just contemptuous of the crowd. But in all of his gospel, John wants us to hear behind the immediate thing. So he's told us in in chapter 3 verse 16 that Jesus came into the world because he loved the world so much. It says in chapter 10 verse 16 that he has other sheep to find and rescue as well as the lost sheep of Israel. And then in chapter 11 verse 52 he says his death will deliver children for God from all over the world. So it's not an accident that immediately after this contemptuous remarks by the Pharisees some foreigners come on the scene. And they come wanting to see Jesus. And Jesus takes that as a sign that at last his time has come. We live in a world where there are so many who have never heard of Jesus and they, they will have done Christmas. You know, they'll, they'll have enjoyed all of that and, and that, that's, that's good. <laughs> you know, it's, it's good to celebrate and rejoice, but they don't actually get the true meaning of what Christmas is about. They've never discovered that he is the true king, the true rescuer, the bringer of freedom, Emmanuel, God with us then and now. And they need to hear that message. And it's up to us, his people, to share that message with them. So the foreigners, they come to Andrew and Philip. Why? Well, John's already told us why, right back in chapter 1. They are the two people who are most likely to be talking about Jesus to other people. It was them who saw Jesus in the first place, realized there was something about him, and went and got their pals. It said, come on and see. And all the way through, what we discover is that these two are the ones who bring other people to meet Jesus. Well, do we not need a lot more Andrews and Phillips today? People who bring folk to say, I want to introduce you to Jesus. So that's why, you know, it's them who are involved in this. But instead of welcoming these new people, Jesus goes off into a story about seeds and life and death. You think, what's up with that? Why not just I bring them over? Do you know? And then he says this strange thing in verse 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. What he's saying really is, if these Greeks, if these foreigners want to see him and benefit fully from what he has come to do, his best response is not to be sidetracked by them, but to complete the work that his father has given him to do. Only by completing that work that he has been given to do, can they and we gain the truest and fullest benefit from what Jesus came to do. Only then do we have proper access to God. Then they'll not just see him, but they'll be drawn to him and be able to receive life 
in all its fullness. So Jesus' talk of seeds dying is actually the start of his answer. John saying more clearly than ever before how God is going to save the world through the death of Jesus. He's hinted at it before, but now he's getting a bit more specific with it. Jesus' death will be like sowing a seed into the ground. It'll look like a tragedy. It'll look like disaster. But actually, it's only by doing that that life comes. And it's actually going to be a triumph of God's self-giving love. The love that looks death in the face and defeats it by meeting it voluntarily on behalf of the whole world. A world represented by these foreigners who've come on the scene. Earlier in John's Gospel, in chapter 2, verse 4, Jesus says to Mary, my time hasn't come yet. And then in chapter 7, verse 30, we're told that uh, the the officials didn't arrest him because his time hadn't come yet. And in chapter 12, verse 23, Jesus himself says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The moment for love and final liberation has arrived. And the fact that foreigners have arrived in Jerusalem asking for him shows Jesus that the time is right. And he goes forward, as we'll see over the next few weeks, to meet that moment with symbolic actions in chapter 13, with special teaching to his friends in chapters 14 to 16, and an amazing prayer in chapter 17. But Jesus isn't just talking about himself. Of course his death is unique. Standing alone against the power of sin and death so that the rest of us don't have to. But he is also pioneering a way for his followers to take as well. And perhaps the challenge to these foreigners who have come is that if they really want to see him, to get to know him, to understand him and what he is about for themselves, they must be ready to be planted like a seed in that same way, willing to risk everything in his name. Paul, writing to the Christians in Rome, chapter 6, verse 4 says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Then we come to the section where people hear the voice of God and they're not sure entirely what it was. Well, I don't know about you, but I know that in my experience, I have heard God speaking as I've read the Bible. I've heard God speaking as I've heard a sermon or, 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 or in lots of other ways, but I have never actually physically heard God speak. So I have nothing to go on with, with what that would be like. But I believe God speaks. I believe God speaks in all of these ways, and I believe God actually literally speaks and we can hear his voice. 
Some people thought it was thunder. Some people thought it was an angel that was responding to Jesus' prayer. John identifies it as the voice of God. Of course, we don't really know, but we trust, I trust John, uh, that he is right in that. But actually, that's not the most important thing. What is important here is what was said. Jesus has just said that his time has come. He's been waiting for this moment. Everything's been building up to this moment. And here it is. And he was, well, what? Proud that he'd made it this far? No. Exhilarated? Well, yeah, a little bit. But that's not the first thing that John says. John says that Jesus is troubled. It's amazing to think that the Son of God, Word become flesh, the one in whom the Father's love and power have been clearly seen, the one who healed the sick, turned water into wine, opened blind eyes, raised Lazarus from the dead, was troubled. Is your picture of God big enough for that? God was troubled. But you see, Jesus was both God and human. He was the Word become flesh. Weak, human, frail flesh. Flesh that shrank from suffering just as we so often do. His natural inclination was to think the time is here. How can I avoid it? The other Gospels don't show that side of the story until we get to Gethsemane later in the story. When he says, if you, if you can take this from me, if I don't have to go through this, but here he is, struggling because he knows what's coming next. But the key is the glory of the Father. And the way that Jesus was totally committed to doing whatever was necessary to bring that glory around. His troubled heart knows the danger ahead, but he also knows that it's through that danger, rather than by avoiding it, that glory is given to the Father and shines out to the world. And so, in John chapter 12, verse 28, he simply says, Father, glorify your name. That's a prayer that the Father responds to and always responds to. He will glorify his name. Because those who have stood against him, who have usurped his rule in the world, who have trampled the poor while exalting themselves, are going to be condemned, he says. Lots of people at the time were expecting talk of insurrection, uprising and battle. But Jesus isn't that sort of king. He was aiming to throw down the kingdom of the world, absolutely. And to replace it with the kingdom of God, absolutely. But it wasn't going to happen in the way they expected. This victory has roots back in the history of Israel. During their travels in the wilderness, 
they moaned and groaned and complained and moaned and groaned and complained over and over and over again until God got fed up and said, right, okay, that's enough. And so he sent snakes, poisonous snakes, into the camp. But he also gave them a way out. Numbers chapter 21, verses 8 and 9, says, The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and he put it up on a pole. And then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Well, John's already given us a clue to this in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, where he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. When the Israelites were bitten by the snake, they had a choice. Do nothing and die, or look and live. But they had to choose. Didn't mean they couldn't be bitten again, but they had a way out, and they knew that they had a way out. The Bible is quite clear. As, As human beings, we are poisoned by sin and destined for death and destruction. But we have a way out. We have a choice. We can ignore the message of the gospel. We can ignore Jesus and die or we can look to him in faith and live but it's only possible because Jesus was lifted up on the cross and died for us of course Jesus hearers don't understand what he's saying they know that the Messiah the Saviour is terrain forever so they don't understand why here he is talking about being lifted up and dying they don't get it And I think maybe John wants us to feel something of Jesus' frustration that they seem so close, but also so far away. I know that feeling, (laughs) you know. And I, I suspect you do as well. There are times that we feel really close to God, that we feel we're beginning to get a handle on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And there are other times when we just think, I have no clue. I don't get it. What's going on? I think John also wants us to sense that kind of confusion for the disciples who didn't get what he was talking about. The only clue he's giving to them is to talk about light and dark. The light's with them for a little while longer so they they walk as children of light. Well, so must we. But the difference is We are the other side of the resurrection. We have more understanding than they do because we have the New Testament. We have the Gospels that explain it to us. And this side of the resurrection, things not only look different, they are different. Because we do get to understand a bit more about what Jesus was saying. We know that he died. We know that he rose again. We know that Holy Spirit was sent into the world. And so he is there to guide us, to help us, to walk in the light. We know that the church is growing in other places in the world. That God is still active, alive and and at work in human history. And we may not see it 
in Scotland in our time. But it is true nevertheless. And we are part of that worldwide body of believers striving to serve God in this place where he's put us with the time, the talent and the the gifting that he has given to us. We all have our part to play in building God's kingdom. So at the start of a new year, let's determine to give him our best and to rejoice in all that we have in Jesus. Amen.